the, the ending of our third full day of the practice of holding the name of Kuan Yin. Just recollecting how it's been for us. Some people like the practice. Some people don't. It can change. But just to dispassionately reflect, oh, that's how it, how it is. And how it is now, whatever opinion we have about it, notice that that's just a snapshot, that, that shifts. Remember the story that uh, Tanisha told in one of her talks about the great... Uh, the judo master whose master told him he couldn't use his favorite move anymore for a while. Remember the one that was winning tournaments, but he used this same move. And the the great master, the grand master said, I don't want you to use that. And it allowed the up-and-coming master to work on the weaknesses, work on his weaknesses, so that his left and right side, he was equally proficient on both sides. So I encourage us not to be afraid to, to uh, explore different Dharma doors. But remember that all the Dharma doors, eventually, all of them, when we get a sense of what they're about, involve mindfulness. There is no Dharma door apart from mindfulness. There's no Dharma door that is divorced from mindfulness. And remember that how the Buddha described mindfulness as the Ekayana Maga. which I like the translation, uh, uh, which is new for me, this, uh, what was that monk's name? Sujata. Yeah, Rinpoche Sujata. He translates it as, uh, as the path to the one, and that makes much more sense. Sometimes it's translated as the only path, which is, mindfulness is the only path. Sometimes it's, as translated as the direct path. But it's maga means path to ekayana eka. Remember in the jhana factors, eka or jittekagata, or uh, is eka means unified, single-minded. Ekayana means maga, means the path to the one, or that which leads to oneness. Or uh, more uh, precisely, to convergence. It's said that all rivers converge in the ocean. You can't tell the rivers apart there. They merge in the ocean. 
Now the famous saying of the Buddha is sabe dhamma amatogada sabe dhamma. All dharmas merge in the deathless. All dharmas, when there is true wisdom, then we recognize how there is a non-dual, indivisible suchness. And that, so just remember that the mindfulness, the path of mindfulness, <coughs> leads one, leads one to this true nature. And sometimes when we're practicing different dharma doors, we might, we might forget and, and not really sense how is this working. In this particular practice, it's mindfulness of the, of the Buddha. Mindfulness of the awakened one. In this particular case, it's bodhisattva, but bodhisattva means awakened one, intent on awakening others. So mindfulness of Kuan Yin and mindfulness of the Buddha, it's really the same practice. That's a, that's a, a, a classic practice. It's a classic, very important dharma door. Thought after thought, thought after thought, returning to the awakened one. In this case, the, the words that remind us of the awakened one can be the one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world the compassionate one, the wise and compassionate one. Avalokiteshvara. Sometimes the name is translated as Avalokita to regard Svara, the sounds. But sometimes uh, Avalokiteshvara is translated as Avalokitishvara. Avalokitishvara. The same root as Tanisra's name. Tanisra, Isra is the Pali version of Ishvara. It's the, the Lord of Ease. It means ease. So sometimes Kuan Yin's name is translated as contemplative ease. Avlokita means to regard Ishvara at ease. So sometimes her name is translated listening to the sounds of the world at ease. And so ease, ease comes. Remember dis-ease from our studies? Dis-ease comes when we look for certainty in the wrong place, when we look for certainty in the khandhas and conditionality, that which is by nature always becoming otherwise. When we try to find stability in that which is unstable, there's dis-ease, stressful. We're bound to suffer, as Ajahn Chah says. In the Great Heart Sutra, which we'll be looking at in the Chan, when we look at the essence of Guan Yin's practice, in the Great Heart Sutra, it opens by when Avalokitesh was practicing the profound prajna paramita, he illuminated the five skandhas. That Guan Yin illuminated these five aggregates, which is what Vipassana is, and it's what Chan will be when we get into it. Illuminated, and what happens when we illuminate the aggregates of form, feeling, perception, volition, consciousness, is that it's unstable. Hot, clear, rainy, peaceful, agitated, understanding, not understanding, 
pleasant, painful. When that nature is illuminated, we see, ah, nicca, dukkha, anatta, changeability. Always becoming otherwise. What becomes otherwise is unreliable by nature. If you lean on it and when it shifts, you fall down. So therefore, you can call it not a possession. It's not mine. It's empty of being mine. So then we relinquish. And in relinquishing, one's putting down the boulder, putting down the stress. That's ease. Avalokiteshvara is the one who is at ease. The awakened ones are at ease, contemplating the sounds of the world. So when we do this mindfulness of the Buddha, or mindfulness of Kuan Yin, the awakened one who listens at ease to the sounds of the world, we're allowing that one thought, that one name, to keep bringing us back to that contemplative ease. And we get lost, get agitated, get obstructed, have moments of being connected, getting lost. That's why it's a practice. It, uh, one can, for the rest of one's life, it's a useful Dharma door from time to time to pick up the name of Kuan Yin or the name of the Buddha. What's so wonderful about it is it's a word that keeps dissolving. It's a phrase that keeps dissolving, just like Bhutto. The word Bhutto stirs us. It stirs the jitta, stirs the heart, and then dissolves. But because of its meaning, it's saying, wake up, wake up. So it dissolves, pointing us right back to the heart. How wonderful. So many words point us out in the wrong direction. Kuan Yin's exact same phrase, same word. It's a word, touches the heart. Kuan Yin, Kuan Shi Yin. But it means, Kuan, regard the sound. Listening at ease. It's a phrase that keeps dissolving and reminds us to return to the ease of the knowing nature. And so when there's dis-ease, and as I was saying this morning, these orphans of consciousness or these obstructions or these hindrances, we can gather them in with this practice. It is said, the, the sage, saints and sages say, the, the masters say, that we need to cross over the beings of our own nature. Cross over means cross the beings of our own nature over the sea of samsara to peace. All these orphans, you know, we can, we can dream about saving all living beings. And that's wonderful. It's a lovely intention. But are we trampling over or slamming into the dungeon the beings that are appearing to us moment after moment? The beings of our own nature, the resentments, the dullnesses, the, the wretched places, the niggling this's and that's. The, the, despairing ones, the ones afraid of pain. So when these uh, beings manifest in the heart, these moods, these innocents, they're beings, we can cross them over. How do we cross them over? We touch them with the namo kwanchi impusa, 
I return my life to the compassionate one. So that means we make space and touch that being. We then become Kuan Yin for that being. We become the one who listens at ease so that that being can, can be noticed and being allowed to being born and being allowed to die. And then if it flares up again, being allowed to be born and being allowed to die within that aura of kindness, listening. That the state then is allowed to turn and go its full cycle into cessation. We slam it into the dungeon of denial and that concretizes it. We take refuge in its opposite, thinking we've gotten rid of it, but a part of our energetic nature is keeping it at bay. And then when we don't have the will to do that, it slams us and we feel overwhelmed. And we try to keep it at bay by seeking the opposite. That's called not knowing the escape. The escape from condition is, is, allow, is recognizing conditions in their nature. So we allow that being to then be transformed and gathered back into our nature, its energy as it gets transformed in kindness. So then we allow the conditions to turn as we get more skillful in, in staying steady in presence, in mindfulness. That way then it's the ekayana, it's the path to the one because we start realizing all these seemingly different conditions keep dissolving back into this measureless presence. That's the one, that's the sea where all the rivers keep returning. I love it when Master Wa, Master Wa who uh, opened this Dharma door for us, said that when we're, he said, when I'm being kind, then I'm Kuan Yin. When you're being kind, then you're Kuan Yin. When I'm being greedy and nasty, then I'm a Rakshasa ghost. When you're being greedy and nasty and hateful, then you're a Rakshasa ghost. A rakshasa ghost is a, is a, is a ghost that, that feeds off people's vital energy. It goes around stealing everybody's energy. It doesn't know its own ease. So in this practice, we're merging with Kuan Yin. But what's special about this practice is we're also, we're also using our own effort, but also allowing ourselves to be open to the blessing power, the vow power of the, of the awakened ones. Just think about it. To, to, it's one thing to, you know, to, have to take the vow, to, take the, to have the intention to make it through a sitting. To make it through a day takes something. To make it through a month retreat's challenging. I think we've all done really well to get this far. Our teacher, Sakyamuni Buddha, uh, you know, went through two and a half 
what do they call it, grand kalpas or something, uh, great kalpas. That resolution to keep gathering patience, gathering generosity, gathering the virtue of truthfulness, of wisdom, of vigor, etc. To be able to, to, so that there could be a flowering into full awakening. motivated by the, the great uh, intention to be awake, but not just to be awake, but to encourage and to facilitate all beings being awake. That's a huge, huge vow. And we can have a little bit of kindness which is it's important. If we have a little bit, we get a sense of what we're, when we remember being touched by kindness, when we ne- how that feels when we remember touching someone else with kindness. Like that story I told today, it was it was wonderful to have the opportunity to to be able to have eyes that could see that person going down the road with the noose that was going to go hang themselves. To notice just a little kindness helped shift that situation. In that moment, I could be Kuan Yin. I was compassion manifesting for, for Charles. That's a little bit, a moment. And then looking at the great Metta Sutta that we chant in the mornings, that that the Buddha said, yes, but we must develop this, cultivate this, so that it's measureless, open, like a mother regards her only child that she would protect with her life, so should you regard all living beings. And little by little by little, this, this attitude can open up. And that's the ekkayana, that's the everything flows into this heart that's open. It is said that uh, Buddhas are always mindful of living beings. Remember the Buddha's uh, vow is what took him to awakening, is vowing to help all beings wake up. It says the Buddhas are always mindful of living beings. Why? Because they see all living beings are of the same substance. When we start to get just a a sense for emptiness, of realizing everything keeps arising and dissolving back into this one mind, that everything converges back into the one, the awareness, then all the distinctions that come from papancha, from conceptual proliferation, we realize are a way of talking, but they're not the truth, not the deeper truth. It appears to be many, but the actuality is that there's a, a oneness here, a kinship. Awakened ones, Buddhists see that all beings are the same substance. 
Buddhas regards all living beings as past mothers, fathers, and future Buddhas. I'm quoting Master Hua. But that's a teaching from the Buddha. The Buddha, uh, in the classical Theravada teachings, he says you can go around, around and it's very hard to find someone, very hard, he said, to find someone that hasn't been your mother, that hasn't been your father, that hasn't been your brother, that hasn't been your sister in a, in a, in a past life that we've been doing this so many times, so many times. Sangsara is beginningless. And that when the Buddha realizes we're all of one substance, that when the Buddha gazes at living beings, he sees every, all living beings are past mothers and fathers of ours. Not only that, but they're future Buddhas. Now I'm quoting the Buddha. All living beings on the great earth have the Buddha nature. All can become Buddhas. On this day of uh, two years ago since my uh, mother died and just uh, remembering the great good fortune that I had to have uh, a mother and a father. My father's still alive, 92, and I'm sure he's uh, feeling her loss today. They were together for 66 years, 65, 66 years. And uh, just feeling the gratitude to have uh, such a kind and loving mother. So I've had the experience in this life of feeling really loved, feeling supported. How uh, wonderful that is. And, uh, and then reflecting on these, these words of the Buddha that, they, that uh, as we grow in the Dharma, we little by little begin to see all living beings as our, our past mothers and fathers, and all living beings as future Buddhas. Our teacher Arjun Sumedho said, the most unkind thing you can do to yourself or another being is to fix them with a view. We fix ourselves with a view, I'm like this, they're like that, whoever they are, it's similar to taking a, a, a pin and fixing a butterfly to a board. It kills it. it, traps it. But to that all views are snapshots. They might be, you know, true to a certain extent. But we do that to ourselves. Real compassion. Ajahn Sumedho said, real compassion is learning to not trap ourselves with views. To learn to see a view is just that of view. It's like a bubble, it's there and it's gone. Give ourselves a chance to keep changing, similar with others. And what a, a wonderful gift we can do is when we see another person, whatever we see, we actually see that seed, see that growing into the however we happen to be that the, every single living being has the Buddha nature, 
has these aggregates manifesting and dissolving back into this ground, the one ground, the ekayana, the place where things converge. So we do this recitation practice ourselves to develop skill as we're practicing. We can little by little gather everything into the one mind. One practice as we're chanting a Namo Kwanchim Pusa or I return my life to the compassionate one is one can mix that, those, that phrase with the body, with feelings, with sensation, with memories, even with memories that are painful, memories that are shameful, memories that you wish didn't happen. You, by touching that with the Namo Kwan Chim Pusa, we're, gather, we're remembering that the awakened one is present in all these situations, touching all of these situations, gathering back into the one mind, realizing they're all arising and ceasing in this one presence, this one listening. One can, one can do this, one can, as one chance, an image of the past can come. One can touch all these different scenes with the mantra. Bless, bless them all. Let all those arise and cease, arise and cease, arise and cease, back into this present. As one persists, with, uh, with this practice. There can then be times when the, when the mantra is, is... when extraneous thoughts are dissolving and the mantra is appearing and dissolving and the heart is at ease with the mantra. The heart is at ease with itself. As we'll see in this ceremony that we'll be looking at tomorrow, there's a phrase in it, the worshipped and the worshipper are empty and still in nature. The worshipped, Kuan Yin, or the awakened ones. The worshipper, the sense of me. The worshipped and the worshipper, both are changing and empty and essentially still. Both the sense of me, us doing this practice, and what it is that we're honoring, the awakened ones, are empty and still in nature. The text goes on to say the response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. The response, this is auspicious karma. What is the response from it? Where is it going to go? That's called the response. That's a question we might have. The way is the practice. The practice of having one recitation then another recitation and getting lost, and another recitation, beginning again, coming back to return our life to the one who listens. The response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. The response is, the auspicious response is linked to this. But we can't, we can't figure that out. It's a mystery. We have to trust in that. Just as Tanisra was quoting uh, earlier in this retreat, uh, the same principle, magahata kilesa patidamatang, the path breaks up obstruction and the goal arises of its own accord. 
just keep doing this practice, mindfully letting the name arise and cease, and arise and cease, keep bringing us back to the listening, back to the listening, back to the listening, touching and transforming all the obstacles, all the orphans, so that they little by little can be gathered back home. Just trusting that the, the goal arises of its own accord. The response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. Let's not, let's try to have the patient heart. Don't be like the, the farmer who was trying to be too clever. He was just thought things were going way too slow with his crop. Don't be like the farmer who came home one evening and announced to his family with a puffed up chest that he just discovered a new invention. His rice crop, he had uh, just increased its growth by an inch and a half. He'd gone and pulled every single one up in a, an inch. And he was so thrilled. He said he's discovered a new technique. He's going to make millions. And his family rushed out the next day to see the work, and they'd all wilted. Too big a hurry. But to be just patient, can we, can we trust this ancient method? And can we trust that uh, just as I, you know, I've had this loving, loving, incredible mother and father really feeling the blessing of, of that care over decades, having such a loving parent, unconditionally loving. And then to, to reflect on a Buddha who's, who's profoundly cultivated that quality and that looks at all living beings as his past mothers and fathers and as future Buddhas. Can we trust, can we just trust that there is here a ground that we're sitting in, a ground that is responsive, that is compassionate? Can we trust enough to say a, a word and allow the word to dissolve back into that presence and, and sensing this convergence of all sounds, all feelings, all moments, how they, like all rivers, keep pouring back into this center, this source, this ocean? It is said, and we'll be reading it tomorrow in the ceremony, but that this very mind shared by all living beings of the Dharma realm is fundamentally complete with a thousand dharmas. It has in full all spiritual strength in the use of bright wisdom. Above it equals the Buddha mind, and below it is identical to all that lives. This is our magnificent mind. It has treasures. We get split from it. We become an orphan from, orphan from our own home through this deluded attachment. But, but we're on this path now. We've started this path of questioning, opening to the suffering, investigating, 
steadying the heart with mindfulness. And in this practice, the mindfulness to come right back as we invoke the awakened one, the compassionate one, to come right back and begin to reconnect with the treasures of the heart. So on this uh, anniversary of my mother's uh, uh, death, I uh, dedicate this talk to her and just remember the way she died. Uh, Mom, I hope we all can have such a beautiful death as you did. She was 87 and she uh, didn't feel so good, didn't eat for a few days. And Dad, uh, she didn't want to go to the hospital, but Dad finally got her to go. She, she uh, insisted on getting dressed. She wouldn't be taken in with a wheelchair. She insisted on being able to walk into the hospital. She walked into the hospital, and she'd been cooking three meals a day, uh, 87 for dad. And she got into the hospital and uh, uh, was uh, so thrilled that she could rest. And she says, Kitty sounds like being on a holiday. So she was resting in the hospital. But then she ate a meal, so she thought she was going to get better and go home. The doctors thought she'd go home. But uh, they did think she had some sort of little heart attack or something. But she ate a meal, and she couldn't digest the food, and she just knew. In the hospital, she knew she was dying. So she uh, 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 made ten phone calls. Some, amazingly, our lines were still working. And she got through and uh, uh, said goodbye. Just said goodbye to everybody. The, the doctors thought, well, what's she doing? They wanted to do more tests, but she knew she was going. And uh, she said, uh, she got through to me and said she felt so blessed, so happy. She's had such a wonderful life and was just doing just what you say. I'm letting it all unfold, she said. And uh, she's just filled with happiness. She was able to get through to Tanisara. She was able to talk to everybody, uh, stop talking, and died the next morning. It was, uh, it was uh, a beautiful death. May we all uh, learn to hold these aggregates that lightly and let go and trust and feel the blessings of our lives. Okay. Mm.